My name is Carla Luster, and I am the founder of Fit Outside the Box, an international wellness subscription company offering unique fitness and self-care solutions for the overthinking woman. I'm an international wellness teacher and mindfulness coach on a mission to help female leaders reconnect with the innate power of their body and mind so they can authentically live the life they're designed to live. As a former human resources professional, I simply understand humans. I've been in business since 2014, and I have over 2 million views on YouTube, thousands of hours of online resources, and a book on the way. I'm into celebrating everything that makes you uniquely you and having a funky good time along the way. So let's stay connected, y'all. Follow me on Facebook at The Therapy Show with Lisa Mustard and Lisa Mustard Change Agent. And you can also find me on Instagram at The Therapy Show with Lisa Mustard and Lisa Active Life. And of course, I'm active over on LinkedIn too. I hope my story inspires you to go after your goals and dreams. And I want you to know it's never too late to start something new. Hey, this is Naza Kawaja, and here's my story that I'm sharing on the Trep Life podcast. Let's stay connected. Follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Naza underscore K. That's at N-A-Z-H-A-H underscore K. Follow The Demurist on Facebook and Instagram. And listen in on our podcast where we like to address and dismantle taboo topics. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play. Sincerely us and of woman nature. If there's one message that I can leave you with, it would be to do you. Be true, be humble, work hard, and do you. I am an individual. I am a mompreneur. I am a leader. I am a trap star. Welcome back, trap life, tribe, trap stars. We are in for another thrilling bonus episode as we are enjoying this extended season of season one of trap life more bonus content more great guests for you more gems being dropped with each episode from each individual and today we are joined by the illustrious carla luster um carla is going to introduce herself because she does a lot she's very eclectic um very unique person, um, definitely one of a kind. And I really just enjoy hearing her take on coaching and truly inspiring. So I think we all are going to have questions and I know all of you are going to want to connect with Carla after the episode. So Carla, thanks for being (laughs) on Trap Life with us today. Thank you. I was not sure exactly when you were finished. Thank you for um, the intro. I liked that a lot. I'm happy to be here. I'm bad at intros, so you have to forgive me. (laughs) Not you. It's all me. (laughs) But uh, yeah, so tell us about yourself. Um, Okay. Yeah, that is, it's so funny because that question is always like, I'll tell you about me in terms of uh, our conversation today. I'm happy to be on this entrepreneurship podcast. I have to say that uh, for me, entrepreneurship was not the most natural thing because I'm just used to doing my thing. But my name, so my name is Carla. 
so if I'm going to be weird, but <laughs> I have a fitness company. It's been outside the box. I started it back in 2014 and it was on the heels of me just wanting to do my own thing because I've been teaching fitness for a long time and I wanted to make it something different, something unique. And I actually didn't really know what it was going to be at first, but I started that, like I said, back in 2014 and it's evolved. And I most probably a couple of years ago, I started doing mindfulness and more wellness coaching. And even in the coaching industry, again, that's a diff something different, a little bit different than what I was doing in terms of just like teaching. And it's been really fun. It's been an adventure. I really feel like entrepreneurship is the ultimate personal development journey. And it's been for me and it's been for a lot of my entrepreneur friends as well. So uh, I think it's cool that you have a podcast for sure. It's a lot of resources out there. And so finding the right resources is definitely something that is um, the most important thing in terms of developing yourself for to be an entrepreneur, a full on all the things you need. I emphatically agree with entrepreneurship as a personal journey. How did you phrase it again? Because I'm not. I feel like it's the ultimate personal development journey. Like you ultimate face all of your journey. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Because you, you, all of your you have to get better at everything all the time. Yeah. And you come up basically. It can be gradual, but you still have to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's, um, and it's layers and layers. And I always say that we're kind of, it's usually the one, whatever your issue was it's kind of like it comes up and it comes back in different ways shapes and forms but whatever you know we all have like a childhood thing that we probably had to overcome and I feel like that childhood thing just comes back in different shapes and forms and we end up kind of like battling the same dragon so so to speak over and over again but it may just take different forms and so it's I mean it's definitely fun it's definitely not for the faint of heart though absolutely so let's kind of dive into that for a moment about your childhood and how that reinforces or kind of is reoccurring in your entrepreneur journey. Not yeah. just for you, but for anyone that seems to be like a common theme in a lot of your teachings. Yeah, um, I probably do talk about it more than I even realized because it's something that it's something that I also see in my clients. And so it's like one of those things, like you said, it's reinforced. It's definitely something that we all come to face. It's almost like that boogeyman in the closet. Like we're all of us have had something that we were afraid of when we were a little kid. And almost always it's like either the dark or thinking that, you know, it's, it's like something's under the bed. <laughs> I feel like that same theme that just comes back again and again. And so as I was growing up, I think I just was always really different. And uh, and it's so funny because I always really identify with like the the odd the odd person in movies. Like I I always like uh, like the Jerry Drew Barrymore characters and stuff like that, or just like that odd person in movies because I always felt so different. I'm identical twin, so um, even that was something that's kind of weird. People pick on you for being a twin. How crazy is that? Really? Um, yeah. Oh my gosh. So they used to like make fun of our names. Our names rhymed, and we used to dress the same. So I kind of get it. Of course, you can make fun of um anything, but you know, like they dress the same on like sister, sister, and Mary Kate and Ashley Wilson dress the same. Like, yeah, so and they probably was a twin. Yeah. Right. Well, I guess so. It is a little bit. I think as you get older, you almost start to feel. 
it just makes you stand out even more as like an identical twin, you know, you're dressed the same. So people find everything to pick on. I feel like, um, you know, whatever your last name is, people can pick on that. So whatever they always, when you're growing up, people find everything to pick on you about. And uh, whatever the thing is that you find bothers you the most, it like just it stays on your best, that monkey on your back because it comes back again and again, you know? So what, um, like, where did you grow up? Like, walk us through your childhood. Like, who were you in high school? I want to get deep into that. Okay, let's do it. So I grew up in Pennsylvania. Um, okay. Well, and I grew I was born in Philly, but I grew up in the Burbs. So I grew up in Yaden, which is like right out of Southwest Philly. It's literally like 10 minutes, but it's, def- it, it's less of the Burbs now than it was back in the day. Okay. And I, I went to... I went to Catholic school, which was kind of a little more mixed than where I spent like middle school and high school. Middle school and high school was pretty much all white school. <laughs> so that's probably another thing, too, that just makes me and on top of being dressed identical as identical twins. Like my sister, also the only black girls in our grade. And, uh, and so that's I think like just in mind, in my own mind, I'm like, I'm different, you know, I'm different. And so there's all these things in my environment to reinforce that thinking. And uh, I don't know, I, I, I definitely will say that I think some people have it, maybe don't notice that as much. But for me, it was something that always stood out that made me different that I was, you know, the, the one of the only black girls in my grade. And, um, and then also like me and my sister, <laughs> Since we did grow up, well, I don't even before we went to school though. Like we talked different. So when we were around our black friends, they would tell us we talked white. Um, so I think you definitely you just have like I had a lot more of a cultural, um, I guess, a cultural rude awakening in my environment. In my environment, um, more than some of my friends, I think. And so I always like kind of was really aware of my race and being different um, because of my race. So that phrase, right, talking white or speaking white, what what did that mean to you then? And does it mean something differently to you now? Yeah, I think that, you know, what's funny is I've heard other people that also had to deal with that. And I'm always like, so I'm so like open to hearing that because I find it to be, of course, now to me, it does not even really factor in. Um. But even in our family, my sister and I sounded exactly the same. And it's something that I don't think about as much anymore. But when I was growing up, it actually was really uh, something that I I did not, I wanted to change. (laughs) And I tried to change. I actually would sometimes try to like not uh, like to sound more like other people. Because even sometimes my parents would say they couldn't understand us and stuff. (laughs) So some people couldn't understand us. Uh, Some people would just say we talked really fast. it was just another thing that just made me feel really different and kind of grateful that I had my sister, of course, because she was also like different and odd. Um, and back then I just, I didn't really know how to change it, but I wanted to. Um, and then now it's just something that I don't necessarily think about as much. It's just a thing, you know, that I think, I think probably over the years, maybe it's just evolved and I don't notice it every now and then someone else does notice it. It's really funny. And then I have like a little bit of a, a wince of pain when I remember it. <laughs> uh, like, oh yeah, that's right. But um, yeah, now I don't know. It's just, 
you hear different things. I think probably like some people would say that, oh, it's it's good, right? Like, oh, it's good. Because you sound maybe more um, like now, to be honest with you, now that I'm more familiar, I've read Leila Saad's book, Me and White Supremacy. And so, um, so I know that it's something typically like white is right. And, uh, and so if you do sound more European or less like you have, you know, an accent or something like that, then I think it's seen generally as something that's good. But um, I actually don't think it's white as much because I'm not white, number one. <laughs> so I, I think the way I talk has more to do with just um, kind of almost being like in a little echo chamber with my sister. Like we sound a lot the same. And I don't know that it's necessarily because because you learn to you talk the way you talk before you even around um, a lot of people at school. You kind of like start talking, you know, when you're before you really go to school, <laughs> you know, think about it. By the time you're in kindergarten, you start talking. So I don't know exactly where it comes from, but it definitely was something that was painful for a long time. And I just didn't really know how to change it, you know. So what was other than your you know comments on your vernacular what else was your high school experience like were you involved with clubs were you good question you know organizations what were you doing yeah um growing up I I feel like I I didn't always identify a lot with clubs but I did like dibble dabble in a bunch of different clubs and stuff like that I never really thought of myself as someone I think I always had a desire to be a leader or to at least like take, I took on a lot of um, just new frontier stuff, and I always really liked to read or like find out about stuff. So that's been um, really helpful. And I thought kind of just, I think when you're growing up, you don't necessarily always know what makes you different. You just know that you don't. That sometimes you feel maybe a little bit left out when people are say talking about TV or something like that. Um, or maybe like talking about things that seem more popular, but you don't really seem as, in, you don't feel as interested. So I think like growing up, I just, um, I didn't always feel like, um, like the most popular things were like the most interesting things for me, but I did have that pressure to like want, want to be interested in the things that most people were interested in so that I could, could be more social. So I think I kind of like a lot of times went on off on tangents when it came to that, but you know, like growing up, I did like Girl Scouts, I did a little bit of sports here and there, but I never really like fell in love with sports, which is why it's so funny that I'm in fitness, because I don't think a lot of people ever expected that. <laughs> um, but I, uh, oh, I was the chunkier twins. I was always compared with my sister um, as a twin. Uh, but even now, like she and I talk about it. And she's always like, wait, you no, that was me I wasn't so we kind of go back and forth like I always had this idea that she was like the favored sister she was the favorite twin but then when we talk about it she's like no you were <laughs> so I think it's one of those things just like mixed up with perspective like everybody's perspective is kind of different but um yeah I don't know I think growing up I just always um nothing like I can't think of anything that really defined my experience as much as just always trying to fit in, but not necessarily feeling like I did. So that's, again, I always tell people that's really where fit outside the box came from. <laughs> Cause I always had that feeling that I was like, I was always an outside looking in. Um, but I also, I also think that that's very true of a lot of entrepreneurs, to be honest with you. Like 
I talk to a lot of um, people who are entrepreneurs who grew up with very similar feelings like, oh, I don't really fit in or I feel kind of like, you know, I, I'm not into the things that everybody else is into. Um, and I think we're all like along the way, like looking back, you can see that we're all kind of just looking for a way to have like an identity that allows us to be comfortable in and like living up to an identity that feels comfortable for us, but it's hard, you know, cause nothing actually really fits cause we're always evolving and growing. And that's especially true like when we're in school, but everything depends on having an identity when you're in school. I think everything starts with your identity. And so what do you mean? You think that an identity is the most important thing or? I, I think so. I think you need an identity and I think you certain people really start defining or developing their identity at different um, phases of their life. Some people it's maybe middle school or even elementary school. Some people it's high school. Some I think for most people it's probably college when they really kind of feel like they solidify their identity. Mm, I think for okay. certain people it's later in life. Um, I think you can even be you know, a senior citizen and figure out where you are now <laughs> and your new identity. But I think you have to have an identity. So then from your identity, if you know who you are, you can find your purpose and you can also discover your principles. Yeah, I do. I do agree with a lot of, I do agree with the fact that who you are is more so rooted in what's most important to you. So I like that you said that the principles thing. Right. And when I say identity, I don't mean like social status, like who you mm -hmm. are, like, because that might be a mask. But yeah. I, I think internally, you need to start figuring out what makes you you, you, you what's your unique gift, and how you're going to develop yourself. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. I think that sometimes an identity can always, it's weird, because we are because humans innately have have just infinite potential there's right. you're capable of way more than you could ever imagine i think almost always an identity to some extent ends up feeling too small at some point if you if you really take it on and and i see that happen with people that's one reason why when we talk about personality tests you and i have talked about that before right. that i think personality tests can be helpful but then to a certain extent they also can limit you because I see so many people struggling with the fact that, oh, I am an INFP or, you know, I am a projector or I am da da da. And it only can take you but so far before right. you almost need to let it go so that you can be what, you know, what you, what you can be. And that sounds kind of cheesy, right. but. You can but, tap um, into your limited, limitless potential rather. Yeah. Because and we're always growing. sometimes that could become a limiting belief, right? It can, it can. Okay. It can. It, it's actually almost any label would be too small because it, it allows you some level of comfort, but then comfort is not congruent with, gro with growth. You have to almost be comfortable being uncomfortable so that you can grow. Right. And the only place to hang your hat is just on the fact that you can be aware of something when it feels like it doesn't fit so you can let go of it and 
sometimes you might have to let go of a personality type or another label that at some point allowed you to feel comfortable because you could hang your hat. But I don't know. And I feel like it's like if you are comfortable, then that should be like a little bit of a, a twinge of discomfort. I agree with you. Um, and let me kind of like maybe elaborate on what I was saying earlier. I think you have to, I believe in transitions and the power of transformation. So if you take a test, uh, the Myers-Briggs test, five years ago, and you get one score, and you take it now, and it's something different, maybe that just means you've grown. Yeah. And that, that should be okay to you that shouldn't be a negative that shouldn't be well I've lost my identity or I I don't think that's the case um but I I think a lot of to your point I think people do view it like that they they have to stay stagnant oh I'm always this I'm always that and it I don't think that's the way life works and I think people now I think are more interested in their multi-potentiality multi-potentialites I think are more prominent than they or more in abundance than they ever have been yeah or have been in I I would say more maybe modern times because maybe in ancient history they were more prominent but now people are um, really trying to get into their limitless potential as you say and to do that like you said you have to be comfortable with being uncomfortable yeah and I think it's too what you said. If you are just more focused on just tuning in and being completely honest with yourself, then it's less likely that you're going to say, "Well, when I'm an introvert, I can't go do that TED talk," you know. Because I think a lot of times, and when I hear that, I almost get like this "shut up," you know, feeling like because it's not the same thing. Like being an introvert and then saying that you can't go do something that puts you in front of a million people is just, it's just not going to be something that really works for you if you are, if you are going to line up with why you're here and, and fully live into that, then it's really, it really becomes too small to try and then lean back on a personality type, which I mean, and, and in that instance, it definitely would provide some comfort if you can avoid something that would be a little uncomfortable. Uh, but it's just, it's not ultimately going to serve you or your purpose. So I like that it's kind of that things are getting a lot more like it's almost the same as like if you think about segregation, you know, it's almost things are getting a little less uh, easy to put into boxes. You know, you have to kind of be someone that offers a full circle experience, not necessarily just one, you know, one really small thing almost benefits you to offer something that is an add-on or that allows a full experience versus just one thing. I think holistic is definitely like the new kind of mantra for everyone. Yeah. And that's where we're going as well. It's like, you kind of can see that like, this is the big shift, this big shift in terms of like, what's going to happen after COVID. I feel like we're just now we're, we're barely seeing the real results of what happens from that. And it's not necessarily just, a stock market crash or anything like that, or it's not like a downturn in the economy as much as, as much as it is going to be really us seeing what it's like to, to really do business online and live in a 
global economy. I think it's it's just really us diving headfirst into that, the beginnings of that. So what do you see as being the long-term result of COVID and how has COVID personally affected you and your business? Good question. So I feel like the long-term, I'm so fascinated with ripple effects, with the domino effect, with kind of how things seemingly are just this one thing. Like if I think about the beginning of COVID and just kind of like driving, I was on my way to open up the for the day at my corporate wellness center. And I literally turned around. They were like, we're closing. And so I literally turned around and came back home and I'm like, this is about to change everything. Like I knew, but I had no idea. And I think a lot of people had no idea like what would really happen next. Uh, But after that, I kind of saw it as, okay, like this is why you have to have an online presence. And I think a lot of businesses got caught with their pants down because they didn't necessarily have as much of an online presence as, as they could have or they should have if they even thought far enough to expect something like COVID. So I think it was a really big eye-opening thing like, duh, if you don't have an online presence. So I had an online presence for a long time. And so for me, it was helpful. I actually ended up helping a couple other people get some stuff online so they can kind of like, you know, scramble and be able to offer something to their people. So that for me, to be honest with you, was it's, it's been something that really, uh, it really helped me to grow. It actually helped grow my business. So I'm actually doing better now post COVID than I was before because I knew so many people that weren't, uh, they're operating in a fitness and wellness capacity and didn't have resources online. So it actually impacted my business positively. And as far as what's to come, I think it's going to be one of those things where we thought we were global before we thought we were doing online business before but not anywhere near the level as for as what we're going, you know? Um, so I think we're looking at, in terms of talking holistic, I think we're looking at really starting to realize that the lines that separate us are completely just drawn in thin air, almost like you wouldn't know if you walked across, <laughs> you wouldn't know if you crossed the boundary between Philly and Pennsylvania and Ohio, you know, it's like these lines that we've drawn are imaginary lines and we're about to see a lot of, what we thought were true separations, we're about to see them melt in all so many ways that I can't even begin to um, like really play with what that looks like. I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens next. I think this whole like racial shift, racial justice movement is just, is just like even the tip of the iceberg with that, you know? I like so where do you see that going? Um, I know a lot of people who... Who, who have like had their business positively affected from that. <laughs> and uh, right. I think, I think that um, I really think that it's the beginning of, of us noticing that I think it's the beginning of, of a shift, not just in, in being aware of what's behind a race, but I think it's a beginning of people really starting to, dig into like the fact that you can be completely un- unconscious of something that's going on around you. I think it's, it's waking up to people to what it is to wake up. Uh, ultimately, I think that's what it will be because even when people were first starting to talk about it. And like I said, I read, I hadn't read Layla's odds book before that. 
And then I read her book and I'm like, she's literally talking about shadow work. She's literally talking about, you know, consciousness work and she's putting it in very practical terms, but that's what it is. And I started to realize like, this is something that's going to call everybody to go a lot deeper and to really call us into being full human beings, like not just so much living on the surface. I think a lot of us live on the surface and it's something that cut it before, but it's no longer going to cut it if we're really going to survive this shift and thrive in this shift. It's going to call everyone into a deeper level of being and being aware of the areas where maybe you had cut off awareness or decided you didn't need to know about something within yourself. I think it's going to call us into paying attention to those areas we would rather not have to look at, you know? Okay. So can you elaborate on <laughs> shadow work and what, were, what was the other term you used? Shadow work and... Consciousness work? No. Well, yeah. Elaborate on that too. But I think most people know what consciousness. Yeah. Is, but maybe not. You know, some people, everyone's on a different level of awareness, as you were saying. But yeah, kind of give yeah. us some okay. terminology and some of the key concepts behind all of those things. Yeah, I'm happy to. Okay. So when we talk about shadow work, I specifically mean delving into the parts of our unconscious, our parts of us that were suppressed because they were not applauded or were not engaged. So everybody growing up to some extent have ha has had an experience where they said, where their parents were like, why, why can't you be more like Johnny? Or no, you're not supposed to do that kind of a thing. And it wasn't always that it was, you know, not eating our peas. Sometimes it was just being, doing things that made us feel like us, or, you know, maybe it was something like playing in the dirt, or it could be any little thing that we started to close off from. Maybe it's also that, you know, you were really interested in something that people didn't talk about. Maybe you're really interested in comics, or it's just that part of us that we were closed off from growing up, and therefore we suppressed it. It just it wasn't allowed to fully bloom. And it almost keeps us at this, within that specific aspect of ourselves, it keeps us almost as like an underdeveloped little piece of us that we're unable to even fully um, be aware of because we don't use it. So a lot of times in real life, you, you go to work, you do your job, you come home, you interact with your family, and then that's it. And so it could be really easy to not pay attention to those things that you don't pay attention to every day. So you might have some prejudices. You might have even some ideas that live there. You might have talents that live there, <laughs> parts of yourself that you don't like. And it just depends on what level that is uh, to how much it's going to hinder our growth and just our full expression. And so it just depends on the person, what their shadow is. Often, More often than not, it's, it's something that we... Um, we don't see unless we pay attention to like what we judge in others and also what triggers us in others. And, um, and racism is such a, a, an easy place to see it because, um, you know, if we don't, if there's something you don't like in yourself, then it's really easy to judge it in someone else. And we're just judging ourselves. And if it's acceptable, even better, because, you know, it, it makes us look a certain way or be able to hang on to an identity. I feel like sometimes it gets a little, uh, 
it can sound kind of like airy fairy, but that's because we don't talk about it. You know, even like something you have to also realize that the things we pay attention to every day are also airy fairies, just more people talk about it. Therefore, it doesn't seem airy fairy, you know, and it's easily you can easily say like you pull out pull out a dollar bill and you say this is a dollar bill, you know, and you but you go to say you know, let's say you hop in a plane and you travel to Germany and you're like, this is a dollar bill. And they're, they're going to be like, what? Oh, that's a dollar bill? Because no, that's, that's not our dollar. You know, so it's just like that. So these airy-fairy things are only airy-fairy because it's not talked about. But um, you have to also realize that the things that we see is not airy-fairy are only concrete because everybody agrees upon them and we talk about them all the time. And that's just as easy as how your shadow survives. It's because it's not called upon and it just comes up in ways that you judge. And so whenever I'm being judgy, I always try to be aware of it because it's just something that uh, is probably part of my shadow or something that I'm not uh, fully um, accepting in myself. And then when it comes to consciousness work, that kind of leads right into it, right? Because consciousness is the the ability to, to be aware. So what you're aware of right now in your environment makes up your environment. But it's as easy as, you know, blowing a dog whistle and then a dog can hear it, but you can't, right? Why is that? It's just what you're able to be aware of is what you're aware of. And if you focus enough your consciousness through meditation, through self-inquiry, through almost being a three-year-old to yourself, I've heard people talk about it that way, then you're going to be more and more conscious of things. it's not something that you have to do in everyday life. So it is one of those extracurriculars that will serve you in everyday life. But again, it's, it's something that, like I said, because of this racial justice movement, a lot of people are realizing that there's a lot that nobody ever talks about that they might have been completely oblivious about because nobody ever talks about it or never, they never thought about it. They never thought about the experience of life as a Black person or they never thought about the fact that you know, that maybe there's discrimination going on and they never experienced it because of, because they're not black or because they, you know, didn't have to for whatever reason. So how do you think, um, oh, I have, I guess I have two questions. So I'm trying to phrase them correctly, but the, how do you think mindfulness ties into all of this? And then, also, how have you seen conscious work or just um, awareness change in like the last five or 10 years? Because I feel like a lot people talk more about affirmations and meditation now than even they were talking about five years ago. Yeah. So that was kind of a two-part question. Two-parter. So take your time with it. You know, answer it however you see fit. Yeah. So mindfulness plays into consciousness work. I kind of was talking about it without calling it that. And I am aware that a lot of people, you know, have different names for it. And it can be easy to, again, it can be easy to ignore because it seems so simple. But I always say what is most simple is most profound. Because because of that reason, because it's so easy to not pay attention to it. It's the same as someone looking for their phone and realizing that they were on it and talking on it the whole time. 
You know, it's like, okay, well, you have your the relief of knowing that you you didn't lose your phone, but let's also focus on the fact that you were talking about it the whole time, yet you were looking for it. It's because it's this, it's so easy to miss it. It's so easy to to miss what you're not paying attention to or miss something that you haven't, you know, caught into play, like as, as far as like realizing that it's even there. Mindfulness work is the practice of engaging your senses in such a way that you can be aware of what is really going on around you. And so it can be as simple as, it can be as simple as paying attention to the texture and the different tastes like sour, bitter, sweet of your food as you're eating it and thinking about the the nutrients in your food, thinking about just how you're, you know, how it feels as you're eating it. So it's, it's these really simple sensory exercises that helps you to develop your awareness. Awareness and consciousness can be interchangeable the way I'm talking about it right now. It gives you a, a, a structured way to practice engaging higher levels of awareness and consciousness with everyday life so that it's the same as working out. You almost increase your awareness muscle so that when you're done with your workout, wherever you want to apply it, you can apply it. You can apply it as you're driving by actually paying attention to what you're passing and actually paying attention to what's going on around you, how you feel, how the sun feels on your skin. It's it's these really simple ways of engaging in life so that you can be aware of what's actually going on, which is something that we don't do because we're always so busy with these things that are quote unquote so important, right? But, um, but as we do that, we almost lose our ability to be aware and be conscious and realize that we have a phone in our hand while we're also looking for it, you know? Right. I love that illustration. It's a great example. Yeah. uh, Thank you. I think it's just, it also, I also use that example so that I could say that, you know, a lot of times we're looking for something that we already have, but we just don't realize we have it um, because it's, because we've just lost our connection with it. We've lost our ability to see that we already have it. And so that's another way that, another reason why consciousness and awareness is something that is is life changing, even though it's so simple and it's so easily uh, underestimated. Um, so, I think over the last five or ten years, it is a little more normal to talk about it, right? Right. I think it's a little more normal to talk about it, whereas at some point, things like yoga and things like mindfulness, and even now, still there are some places. Um, you know, I work quite a bit in corporate wellness. There are some corporations where we are forbidden to even say mindfulness, right? And so if you start to think about, you know, it, yes, we have evolved and there's still a ways to go. And I think there's a lot that happens when you start working with mindfulness and consciousness and, and, and developing your awareness. I think there's a lot that happens in terms of what you notice that is to some extent dangerous for some businesses that are dangerous for some practices that we have in everyday life that are very unconscious. So um, over the last five years, I think it's gotten to be more normal, but there's still a long ways to go. I think the reason why it's gotten more normal is because we're evolving. And as a people and as humanity evolves, which is what we do, which is what everything around us is always doing, 
it requires us to, it requires us to access more of our potential. And the truth is our potential is the same as that phone and that it's there and it's always been there and we're literally looking for it, but we already have it. And so as we evolve and we grow and we tap into more of our potential, we are required to be more aware of it. And so that's why I think wellness uh, and mindfulness has increased in popularity because naturally it's it's required <laughs> as we grow and even more so, it'll be even more so crucial to help us to, to continue to grow. Just like it's more crucial right now with this racial justice movement, like it's absolutely, when I, when I was listening to, I, I watched a talk from Robin D'Angelo who wrote White's she wrote, wrote uh, White Fragility. And that book is like a number one book right now, number one best-selling book right now. Um, or it's Some like these the old books coming back. Number huh? one on Amazon list. Some of these books that were written like five, ten years ago. Yeah. And they were I mean, maybe so, so popular then and now they're blowing up. So good for yeah. all the black or race strategy, anti-racism strategy writers and voices out there. I know, for sure, definitely. But if you spend five minutes listening to what she's saying, she's literally talking about, she's literally talking about consciousness and, and awareness and mindfulness, mindfulness, bringing your full awareness to what's going on right now, is something that, uh, you know, again, it's 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 very powerful, but um, it's 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 growing in parallel popularity, but it's still quite a ways to go. I think I've talked to you about this. Maybe I ha haven't. I'm not sure. Um, but, like, I struggle with being uh, present. You know, and I think it's... I think it's somewhat common for most people, but I think particularly common for entrepreneurs, particularly ones who are... who consider themselves innovators in a space. Mm -hmm. What are some tips that you have around that area? Yeah, even if I know for a lot of people, meditation is hard because we come to the table. We come to meditation with a lot of expectations that we're going to just automatically clear our mind. But just like you said, it's not something that even as an entrepreneur, it's, it's highly valuable to entrepreneurs to be able to clear our minds and be able to focus but it's not something that we are ever trained to do. So it's really Absolutely. challenging. Yeah, so we, so we come to the table of trying to meditate with a lot of expectations. Um, and so, but meditation is probably my number one, um, if not number, maybe number two um, way that you can focus the mind. I think the other thing that has been really beneficial to me and you hear it all the time and almost, it's, it's funny because I think there's a saying, <laughs> It's like the things that you hear on repeat, you know, it's like there's a reason why you keep on hearing them repeated. But exercise is probably one of the number one habits that I think helps us to have greater capacity in the mind. And the reason why I say that is because our brain is designed for complex movement. Like the reason why our brain works the way it does is because over so many years, we had to use our brain in order to move, in order to be nomadic, in order to hunt for food, 
in order to run for safety. Um, so the reason why our brain is as developed as it is, is because we have a body. <laughs> so when we move our bodies, um, it helps us to develop our connections to our mind and it helps us to clear our mind and it helps us to tap into the potential of the mind. And so movement, and it doesn't have to be anything crazy. It could be like a walk. And even if you listen to, uh, there's, I have a book about sales that's really good. And it's like, whenever you feel stopped with your, <laughs> your sales, go for a walk and, um, or you want to quit. Even if you ever want to quit, go for a long walk. And at the end of the walk, you know, re revisit if you really want to quit again, <laughs> but it's because it clears your mind. Exercise helps you to clear your thoughts. Um, so I said meditation, exercise, and another one that is really good, and I mentioned it earlier, and it's so funny because I have this fear of being too repetitive, but almost treat, be the three-year-old in your brain and, and get to why on some of the things. You almost want to, when you can do that, like why? Even like any addictions that you have, which is just undealt with stuff in your brain, um, get to the bottom of stuff. Because a lot of what exists as clutter in the mind is unresolved stuff, unresolved baggage and things like that. And, and when you get complete, just like when you get an answer to something, you can kind of rest it and put it to rest. You know, you know put it to rest. Um, so if you can do that, then it's going to be easier to focus so that you can practice focus during your meditation so that you can practice focus on just one thing. And I'm going to list one more thing, even though you said, I think you said three, if you can block out your day and that's an old one too. But the reason why that makes sense is because our brain does really good on being able to focus when we're working on one thing at a time. So even saying that, of course, is going to make a lot of sense. So if you have, you know, if you have something that's really challenging to do that first thing in the morning and get complete with that is going to allow your brain to rest so that you can have the focus while you're doing it. And then also when you're finished it, you have the focus to work on another thing. So our brain likes to finish things. So why not let it finish something and give yourself blocks to work in and feel complete with it before you move on? I love those are good three, you know, oldies, but goodies. <laughs> but um so I kind of want to take us back a little bit um you have experience in human resources HR I do I have a lot of HR experience actually talk to us about human resources as an industry wh where it was when you entered it why you wanted to get into that part of the field. Uh, I, I mean, part of business, because um, all corporations have to have a human resources department. But I think human resources are one of the most misunderstood parts of a corporate entity or just corporate culture in general. Yeah, uh, I, th I could see how that could happen. So I will say too, like I, um, like my human resources experience is something that it still shapes me for sure. Like I think I entered human resources because I was so fascinated with humans and I wanted to have a behind the scenes look at human resources in business. And so I love the behind the scenes aspect of realizing that it's the people 
in a business that make the business. But I got into human resources because I first started working out, working in uh, equal employment. <laughs> I worked in the EEO office in college and I loved my mentor and she really was encouraging. And um, I got to see kind of some of the goings on, like sexual harassment and uh, EEO stuff. And I was like, wow, you know, this is really, this is really crazy how a lot of the same people have the same issues recurring. I kind of got into it as more of a nosy aspect, just being really curious about. <laughs> like <laughs> just, what's really going on behind the scenes. Yeah. I was like, wow, there's a lot going on, you know? And, uh, and, and so I do really, I really get into the behind the scenes of a business and I get into the behind the scenes of what's going on with humans as well. And I think that uh, in business, a lot of times it's underestimated. HR is almost always seen as a cost. But what a lot of businesses don't see is that the human resources part of a business is so crucial. The people in your business are your business. And the same thing goes for entrepreneurs. Like if you're an entrepreneur, you run your business, you are your business. And that's why it's so important to know what's going on behind the scenes in terms of your your thinking in terms of your your power over your ability to focus your your body and your mind on something that you want to create because you literally have to hack your mind body because you're not we're not our culture does not manufacture <laughs> entrepreneurs no. and and that's why I think a lot of times the entrepreneurs I meet they're they're the outcasts you know yeah I, yeah I wholeheartedly support and relate to that sentiment so yeah so we are we are conditioned to be employees and so a lot of times the entrepreneurs are the people that did not make the they could not squeeze themselves into that conditioning to end up being an employee and so they they eventually kind of work their ways out and being in in HR it's obvious as well because you know you can kind of start to see, because I worked in recruiting for a number of years. I also okay. worked in benefits. And you start to notice that, you start to notice that, you know, human, the way companies look at humans as their resource, they, it's not always, it's almost always in the benefit of the company. And the good companies make that line a little bit more blurry and that it seems like they're kind of more for the people. But um, that's where I kind of probably started to get a little more tainted with, with HR and I didn't want to be in HR anymore. <laughs> It's because um, sometimes it seems so unfair for the employee. Some of the things, some of the things in terms of just I, I would see resumes, and I'd know that the person sitting in front of me for an interview did not want that job, but they they did what they wanted to earn a paycheck, and right. so. And I and and yeah, that sounds unrealistic. A lot of times, people are like, "Well, you gotta have a job," but what we miss is that. You know, each person, each of us is so unique in what we bring to the table that if you are trying to squeeze that into a job, number one, you're never going to be satisfied. And number two, more often than not, you're going to always just be wondering what could have been. And the reason why that happens is because we, I mean, we're, you're not, you were not, you're not down to your very design created to fit into a job, <laughs> you know, like you can use that right. job to develop yourself, but you know, you're here to create something new. And, um, and that is just this crazy way that life goes, you know, you almost have to go through 
feeling squeezed into an employee mold and hating it in order to get enough courage to, um, or like just get fed up so much so that you end up having to <laughs> go try your hand at being an entrepreneur. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs go that route. Like they just get so sick of trying to be an employee that they give up and they go, you know, and go all in on trying to be an entrepreneur, you know? Quick question. Were you ever able to see um, a corporation um, create a job for an individual? They said, this person is talented, but they're not maybe a right fit for any of our available positions. Maybe, but we, we still feel like they could be an asset to the company. Let's create a new position for them. Damn, well, you know what? I'm not going to, I will say that I have seen jobs created and sometimes it's a little bit along those lines. Like I can definitely tell where like someone was doing like a hybrid job. I've seen that. I've seen a hybrid job created um, where, yeah, it kind of was that just realizing that, okay, you know what? This person has some useful things for the business. I've been in roles like that too, that were hybrid because they're like, you know what? You really can write and we actually can use that. So you know, let's let's have you do this and this and kind of like change your pay structure a little bit so that it accommodates it. I have seen that. I don't know if I've ever been. I know that that happens. Pete, I know that they that there are companies that definitely create jobs. Um, it's it's maybe not it's not, you know, as as maybe not as common um, as just having a job that does a function. But I do think that that does happen. You know, usually it, it has to be. I've seen it done three ways, I would say. The first is through nepotism. I think and that's the most prominent um most yeah. popular. Yeah. Then secondly, I see it as they don't want to lose talent. So it's like retaining talent. Um, someone whose job is kind of probably phasing out, but they've been with the company for 10, 15 years, contributed a lot. Um, and it just is like, okay, let, let's find a role for you. Let's, let's make this work, which I think is really great. I think that's very admirable. And then the third way is just when you just see an immense amount of talent and you're like, I don't know what you can do, but we're going to figure it out. <laughs> you're just yeah. going to go on that journey with someone in their career. Like, we're going to put you with some mentors. We're going to ch- plug and chug you all over the place. Like, um, with football. Julian Edelman, who ended up becoming, um, you know, a Super Bowl winning quarterback, Super Bowl MVP, actually. And he played quarterback in college. And the scouting, you know, he wasn't going to be able to play quarterback at the next level. But Bill Belichick said, I don't know if you're a quarterback. I don't know what you are, but I know you're a football player. So we're going to figure it out. Yeah, cool. You know, and I I think businesses can do that sometimes with people, too. But I think that is probably the most rare where they're actually able to see behind the need. You know, you've done that with recruiting where you're like, well, I see this person is talented, but my job right now is to kind of fill this role. I have to fill these positions. There's never really a great time to say we should just hire this one this person and i'm not sure for what job but we're going to figure that out maybe six months from now that's a hard pitch 
That is hard. Um, but it's also really smart, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Long term, that's it's genius to, um, you know, just hire talent and kind of figure it out there. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, it's cool. And I think we're going to have to start seeing more of that. Um, yeah. Just because I think jobs and positions titles they're going to have to phase out because I think more and more you're going to get into project management where it's like you have different projects that require different needs and people with different leadership skills or different talents that will help complete the project yeah yeah okay so I have two more questions because I know we're we already started the episode late. We had some technical difficulties, but we made it. Yay. Um, uh, tell us more about your book that's coming. Well, actually, hold that. Hold off on that. Okay. Tell us more about, you, you talk about it a lot, your advocacy for mental health and having breakthroughs um, because of your sister's uh mental breakdown is that correct yeah okay can you touch on that really i can't do that um it's so funny because i I wrote a little bit about this earlier for the video i'll do today because i think all of us have these experiences in life that that change the way we see everything and i think that if we really were, if we really pay attention to those experiences in our life that literally make it impossible to live life the way we lived before, before that experience. And for each person, I think it's different. I think we all have at least, you know, one, two, three, depends on the person that make it impossible for us to ever go back to where we were before having that experience. And and I think that it's something for me that one of those, <laughs> I've probably had maybe three or four that I can think of. Right. One of the experiences was when I saw my sister just totally, and it's something that it's, it's so weird because of course I've known her my whole life and, you know, it's, it, it changed the way I saw mental illness or I didn't actually really even have any idea of what that was before that. But um, that experience changed me. And, uh, and there's so many things that I could say that the changed that I, I was forced to see after that, but, um, it's this person I've known my whole life. And then I, I saw her have a breakdown and, uh, and I didn't know what it was when it was going on. And in fact, when I look back at it, I just was literally just, I had no idea what was going on. And I tried to not, you know, to, to try to not have to deal with it. I tried to make it so that it wasn't that bad until it got really bad. And uh, and it opened my eyes to kind of the the this narrative that is silent, this kind of quiet narrative that happens behind the scenes in people. Because after that, I started to be able to really notice that sometimes when someone would say one thing that they they were you know literally having some whole narrative going on in their mind behind the scenes, and it opened my eyes to everyone else around around me, and then eventually myself, you know, and. Uh, 
And I really feel like it was one of those things that changed my life. And I, I could never go back again. I, I realized that, uh, that there was definitely this whole stigma around, around mental health that we almost needed to, to blow. We almost needed as a culture to blow that up because what is mentally ill now is something that, you know, say 50 years ago was something different. And a hundred years from now, it's going to be something completely different. It's this moving target. We, we know, we know a whole lot less about it than we care to admit. Um, but if we're honest, everybody is, everybody on this planet has a mental illness and uh, it has a lot to do with just um, our, uh, our ability to be unconscious, you know, and our own, to the, the more we know about ourselves, the less likely um, at the deepest levels of knowing, the more likely it is that we can actually be mentally healthy, but um, we, we definitely are in need of knowing what mentally, mentally healthy even means. And uh, to me, it has a lot to do with have, being able to um, have a clear mind. So I think I kind of went off on a tangent about that. There's a lot I could say about that, Pete, because I think that um, mental illness is something that runs rampant. I started to realize that, you know, there were lots of mental illnesses without labels and the ones with labels are not so different than the ones without labels. Well, like, you know, recently you see Kanye and it's a debate on whether he is having a mental breakdown or not, or, you know, is this a manic episode from his bipolar disorder? I've seen people who are, you know, have, psychological background, psychiatry backgrounds. Yeah. Talk about it's narcissism mixed with bipolar disorder, mixed with something else. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a lot of different thoughts, but, you know, for me personally, um, and I'm not sure if I've talked about this on this podcast before, um, but my best friend from high school a uh, guy that was like a big brother to me took me under his wing and um, really just helped me grow as a person, held, held me to a standard of accountability. He ended up suffering from um, like being schizophrenia, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so seeing those signs, kind of seeing how that all unraveled for him, you know, and just being around it, it was really eye-opening and like a, you know, one of those moments that I just won't forget, like you were describing earlier. And so um, that's something that I related to you a lot on when you, you started sharing that part of your story, your sister's story. Yeah, that's good that you're able to see that because um, it's interesting because everybody's is different, you know, but the main thing that would happen happened with my sister because my sister has, was diagnosed with schizophrenia. Okay. The main thing that happened when she was having the breakdown, it took several years before she got that diagnosis. And so for a long time, we just didn't really know what it was. But I don't always say that because I think when you say schizophrenia, I think a lot of times people have this notion in their mind that it's split personalities or something like that. But it really is different in each individual. And what it does, it, it it's just like it gives you a little more insight into the mind. And as soon as you kind of can see what it is that we call crazy in someone, you start to notice that, and my sister, because I can't always say everyone, you start to notice that there is a certain level of normalcy in it. And um, I can't say, I I don't think that it's, I think it's a whole person experience. It's not just a, um, like a mental illness per se. And I think it has a lot to do with um, 
I think it has a lot to do with our evolution. I think each person is evolving and I think there's a lot of barriers to that uh, that come along with a culture that is that is tainted. Our, our culture is not necessarily mentally healthy. It's not perfect. There are a lot of things that we learn um, that are that will be 100% false in just you know a certain amount of time. And I think to some extent, some people are just behind, beyond their time. They're like, are too far ahead of their time. And I think that it can be harmful in so many ways that uh, that result sometimes in a breakdown. Or I think there's a lot to be said for people who who do have mental illness. I think that it's easy to put a label on something and not have to look closely at it. But there are a lot of things that my sister was saying during her breakdown that I was like floored because some of the stuff was true. And I kind of like also experienced, you know, a lot of uh, doctors t- giving her advice that I thought was just kind of um, ill-advised. So I'll say that. And it's so funny because you can be afraid to say that, you know, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know exactly what your experience was or how much you got to see on the inside of it. But once you see the inside of mental illness, you start to realize that um, while it is complex, there's a lot of complexity in human beings that we never examine. And uh, I don't think that, I think mentally healthy is more so the rarity than mental illness, even while it's a stigma. Oh, I can't hear you. Hello, can you hear me? Yeah, now I can. Okay. I would say I got to actually experience a lot of it firsthand because it was happening in real time. Yeah. You know, it went from you know, this is my big brother to like, this guy's kind of like a stranger to me almost, but it's like, you know, just in personality, just in behavior. Yeah. Um, But that's still my big bro. Like, we still have this bond. Yeah. And to this day, like, I don't even remember the last time we spoke, but I'm still in contact with his family. Um, so checking in often, seeing how he's doing. You know, I'm trying to plan a trip to like visit him because I haven't seen him in some years, and I hear he's getting healthier, but he's still not great. You know, so just you know, an ebb and flow, ebb and flow kind of thing. So it, it's just it, it's a lot. You know, it was sometimes I was closer to him, like he would just end up like wandering off, and I would have to go find him. He was just around places that he. lot of things that could have gone wrong. Like it was a really big fear of mine. Um when this was happening it was kind of during the uptick of Hopkins saying You sound far away again. Yeah. Can you hear me? Okay, yeah. yeah. It was kind of during the peak of uh you know police officers killing unarmed black men. So and then you, there's already a huge issue with um, police officers going to the scene and dealing with mental illness, you know, across the board. Trying so, to. Hello? Yeah. So that was like a really big fear of mine um, for a while. And so, like, I, I really thought I was going to get a phone call that, you know, yeah. he was trespassing, something was going on, and he, you know, cop ended up coming and just shooting him so you know just his safety was a big deal for me for a while like I just remember 
having nightmares about it, like just waking up, like, you know, calling people, checking in, like, what's going on with them? So, yeah, I get that. It was, you know, um, and I guess the hard part about it is there's not a definitive like path forward there's not really like an end game protocol it's all kind of an experiment i would say yeah based on the individual like you were saying yeah yeah definitely i think um yeah it's so funny because the i i've had that i had that also just like a worry that something was going to happen you know, to my sister and um, because it's like, you know, going out into the world and then, you know, if they see someone talking to themselves or, you know, um, it just looks really different and stuff like that. That's so true. You do have this concern that something's going to happen to them. And um, I definitely had that. There's so much, it's, it's, there's a lot that happened over the course of the, over the years that, you know, I could probably delve into, but that's definitely one of them. So I can identify with that. And, uh, you could yeah. probably do a whole episode on just this topic alone, you know. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot. And it's unfortunate that it is such a stigma around mental illness because I think that there's something that a lot of people could learn from it if it were talked about a little bit more. I think a lot of times too it's also villainized. Like people see like, you know, those mass shootings and stuff and they always just think like, oh that person is crazy and there's a lot of fear around people that maybe have a mental illness, but at the same time you also have to have the same, the, the reverse is also true, just as you expressed, thinking that something might happen to the guy that was kind of like your big brother. You have a fear also that something might happen to them because they are different and because people fear them. So it's almost like this, it, it goes both ways for sure. And, you know, speaking to that, it was, it, we went, I saw what happened in real time, like, people used to worship the the ground this dude walked on and you know he was super popular everyone liked him and you know he could do no wrong and I think I sometimes miss some indications um because you know I got caught up in just being around that aura that energy that he um projected and but it was really, and to this day, it bothers me how, you know, everyone wanted to come when we would have parties at his apartment. Everyone wanted to come to these parties. Oh, they're epic. We have to be there. And then once he started suffering and um, with his mental health, it was, oh, he's weird. What happened to him? Oh, stay away from this guy. And there was no... <laughs> empathy exactly. at all it was you know his name was dirt out here and to this day it just bothers me like I I can't I don't respect people that I know have talked about him publicly to try to it it, it, it just I I could I want to go on a tangent about that but that it just bothers me yeah that's true but it's funny because also it's like it does it definitely shows you like who your real people are because I did notice that with my sister as well it was like well you know it kind of is yeah people might fall away but at the same time you also see like the people who are really like down for you and you know it's it's almost like okay 
It's almost like, okay, well, people can fall away. It's, you know, it's weird. I do get that, what you're saying, though. Exactly. And, mm-hmm. you know, also, I think it's, I think we have a lot of people, especially on social media now, that are, like, fake mental health advocates. Like, it's all for just to see seem like they're um, p- being positive or progressive or that they're being aware when they're really not. Like, yeah. to me, if you haven't had any real experiences with your own mental health or seeing someone else's mental health or both, then there's certain things that you probably just shouldn't comment on. Yeah, I know. I get, I used to, I got so much bad advice. I think people just don't really know. I mean, there's the, 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 re, the, the other shoe that falls from people always being so afraid to talk about mental health is that people don't know about it and they make right. all these decisions. And they think they can dish out advice when if you have never experienced it, it's going to be really, it's going to be just so blind. Any advice that you come out your mouth. You shouldn't with. talk about it. Like, yeah, just at all. Like even because most people don't really read, they're not going in depth on any given topic unless it has something, unless there's a cause like, Unless you have a family member, a friend, you know, something that triggers you, that draws you into that particular area, that space, you're not going to, you know, when we were just talking about like the culture, a corrosive culture that we live in where it's go, go, go all the time, you Mm -hmm. don't have time to figure yourself out. Are you really going to invest time in something that doesn't pertain to you really? Yeah, that's so true. I probably wouldn't have, to be honest with you. I, I mean, I I get how people don't necessarily have a reason to, and therefore they can be completely ignorant on something that would definitely open their mind to even knowing more about themselves. But that's so true. Yeah. Right. You know? and, and I totally agree with what you just said. My thing is, if you don't have the time to really invest in this very um, complex matter, and just don't talk about it. Yeah. It's okay to say, I don't know. Just just be silent and observe. And maybe there's a point in your life when you are able to dive deeper into it and gain a better understanding. But just don't talk about something that you don't really know about. Yeah. Even something like depression. It's funny because I feel like there's a lot of different layers to mental illness because there are some people that have a condition and there's, and it's really just a mixture of multiple different conditions. And you're right. Any, any range or realm of talking about that, if you have never dealt with it, it almost ends up being really watered down or just completely almost can be offensive to people who have dealt with it. 100% agree. So yeah, that, that's my tangent for the episode. Barbara, <laughs> thank you for indulging me. Yeah, absolutely. I didn't know that you had that experience, so but it's it's it it is good to hear your perspective. And um, definitely, I have. I lied. I have really two questions for you, or maybe <laughs> a third. But okay, they're gonna be quick. Um, give us your top five recommended books doesn't matter the subject you know top how many did you say you can give us five five that's a lot okay 
Or All you right. Do three. You want to give us three? I could probably do. I, I let me. I'll give you three, and then I'll see if there's any more. Okay. Okay. So okay. The let me see. The number one I would probably say is conversations with God, and that's like a. I think that's a three book series. So there's three books in that series. So if you could read pretty much any one of those, but if you could read all of those, that would be awesome. I love uh, Conversations with God. And um, that's by Neil Donald Walsh. Neil Donald. Okay. Yeah. So sorry, but Conversations with God, you're not going to miss it if you. Audience, search. you can fact check us. It's okay. We, we're not. You know, all this is happening in real time. um and the let me see number two would be mm, this is a good question because i have to kind of think about it so socks knocked off with um let me think i would probably i would definitely say um well it's kind of funny because I would say, hmm, I'm trying to think of like, okay, so I would also say, um, I'm reading now a book that's amazing, but I don't know that for sure. So The Religion of Tomorrow, and it's a really long book, but it's an amazing book. And the reason why I say that is because it does definitely talk about evolution. So it kind of gives you a big, um, not just evolution in terms of like, what we mo- most of us know about scientific evolution, like a, oh, then you're an ape and then you're, you know, a human and, and that type of evolution. It talks about like evolution into the future. So the religion of tomorrow is really good. I'm reading that right now. Um, I don't know why I'm like drawing a blank. So maybe I'll only give you three only because my brain is just like, uh, I'm the same <laughs> way sometimes. And you read a lot of really great books and they're wide ranging. I think you've recommended two or three books to me. So Okay. Yeah. I definitely definitely like to read. Um, I feel like for me, reading was something that always really like opened my mind up and and kind of just changed things for me. So I also read a lot of different blogs too. So I'll give you uh, one more book and a blog and give me a second. I'm just like thinking because some of the, some of the best books that I've ever read, it's been a while and I feel like I need to give you a good, (laughs) I'm like, I need to make sure you read a really good book. Yes. Yes. Well, I'll message you. you I'll tell you one more. I have one more for you that I know is probably like my favorite. And that is um, the, uh, the alchemist. The alchemist. Okay. Have you ever read that? Um, yeah, I did read The Alchemist, actually. I read it last year? Last year? Or did I read it this year? Something it's like that, short, yeah. It's a short read. It's a really good read. I love um, I love that book. It's a great book. I almost always read books that kind of just are a little bit more um, eye-opening. So. Right. Um, I think that's and- a book I have to read again. I think so. Oh my gosh. I love that book. So I will say one more, and, um, and that's probably just... Um, the the power of myth power of myth is a really good book and it's by um um probably one of my favorite here i'm about to like look it up so power of myth um is a really good book too for entrepreneurs by joseph campbell and so a lot of people probably have heard about like the hero's journey which yeah. is also a joseph campbell uh, concept that but, was, uh... 
Kobe Bryant read that book and he said it was transformative to him in his second wave of his career post yeah. uh, basketball. So shout out to Sensei, rest in peace to Kobe. Yeah. Um, I feel like that if you read, you know, Power of Math or even like The Hero's Journey, something around that, that allows you to really, so funny because I feel like all of those books do have a common thread if I, you know, think about it. But any of those books, if you read them, it's going to change your perspective on um, on life. And and so I feel, I feel like for me, they came at just the right times to really like shift things for me so I could kind of just fall more in alignment. I think that's what we're always doing anyways. So those books, and I probably could think about one more, but instead I'm going to tell you a blog that I think is really good. Okay. Uh, I'll tell you two blogs. I I like the blog slash blog from actualize.org. A lot of people, um, I think probably already, if you're an entrepreneur, you may have already know, you might already know about Leo Gura. He's really a great um, thought leader, I think in, in the field of just like personal development and also I love Steve Pavelina has an amazing blog and he has a couple of blogs that I go back to a lot. And uh, I don't know, I think they're just really good um, books, but, um, but, oh, I also talked about Layla Saad's White Supremacy and Me. And the reason why I say Layla Saad too is so that you can kind of prepare yourself for the racial justice movement that is underway right now. I to at least be aware of some of the thinking that we all have that kind of stunts our growth if we just don't pay attention to it, you know? Absolutely. And you, you mentioned Layla Saad's book as well, but I think you also gave two others throughout the interview. So you've given us a lot to read. As <laughs> and she does this on her um, lives as well. She's always mentioning different books. So you yeah. do a really great job of sharing resources and recommending resources. Um, Give us three podcasts, or do you not listen to podcasts? I don't listen to podcasts that much, but I do know that actualize.org has his show on a podcast that you okay. probably could do. I'll also, you know what? I I will say that I like Seeing White. I don't know if you ever listened to that, but I did recommend it a couple of times on my live broadcast because Seeing White, oh my gosh, it just talks about race in a way that, just dissects it to, to, to really kind of get, you know, into it a lot deeper than, than anything I've ever like read or experienced. So I love that about it. Yeah. Awesome. And well, I know you don't listen to a lot of podcasts, but I'll recommend the uh, Craig Rochelle leadership podcast to you. Cool. Okay. I think you'll like that one. And then the Her Space podcast with uh, Terry Lomax. Um, cool. Terry just released her book on, forgive me, Terry, was it Tuesday or Wednesday you released your book? Um, definitely, I'm waiting for my copies. I can't wait. Um, it's, I'm going to mess up the title, but look up Terry Lomax. It's uh, how to make lemons into lemonade and uh, glow up as you grow up. So, I, I butchered that title. Terry, you know, I love you and support the book. I'm just bad with titles. But let's talk last question for real this time. Tell us about your book. Okay, so my book is basically all about my journey to wholeness. It is Everyday Magic. 
And so I talk a little bit about all of the things that I talked about, or a lot about all of the little things I talked about today, uh, about how to tap into the power of the body and the mind and my own personal journey of learning how to do that and how it's all so interwoven into fully being who we are and and being able to use those things from our childhood, so those, those things that once held us back as something to, as instead of carrying it along as bad baggage, using it to, to, to climb, to see tall, to see more of what's actually going on, to be more aware. So honestly, I think that a lot of our challenges, a lot of the issues that we faced, um, even stuff with our that allowed us to at some point be unconscious is really just an opportunity for us to grow. It's an opportunity for us to gain more awareness, more capacity for consciousness and growth and potential. So I almost feel like there's an advantage in those disadvantages. Even being black in America is to some extent an advantage. Uh, I just, I saw something yesterday that made me think about um, my book in a different way. I saw someone who was actually talking about how um, black people have an ability to not only see from their own perspective, but also know how white people may be perceiving them at any time and point. And I thought that was interesting because it was one of those things where, you know, sometimes you have a thought, but you've actually never seen it in words. And then right. to see it in words makes you kind of be like, yeah, that's true. Um, so it was cool to see that in words. And I think that uh, when it comes to the consciousness expansion that is, that we're, that is now underway, the shift, the big shift that everyone's been talking about for years is deeply underway right now. And we're living through it. I think that as people who with dark skin, I think we have a little bit of an advantage in terms of having a bigger perspective of life and how and how there's so many different, we just have a different, have another layer of awareness and seeing an aspect that is uncommon. And I think that's an advantage when we're all in the, in the deep in expanding our consciousness. I think it's an advantage to realize that you, you already have um, something that a lot of people will never be able to uh, even tap into is just being aware of the fact that you have expanded awareness and consciousness because you literally need you literally need that as a black person to survive. You literally have to be able to know that the way you see yourself and the way you're seeing the world is not the way everybody else sees you and sees the world. And sometimes that is the thing that helps us to to continue to live. <laughs> so I think that's an advantage. And um, I do talk about that some in, our, in my book, because I think that um, just like a lot of challenges and problems and issues that arise, I think it only helps us to um, to see and perceive and, and be aware of more, you know? I absolutely agree. Um, we have to, as Black people, you have to look at things from various industries. I mean, very, I said industries, uh, various lenses. Right? Yeah, exactly. So, that's, that's a good way to say it. You know, it's like you get into different mindsets and you not only have to know your history and your culture, but you have to be somewhat aware of the history and culture of others. Yep. 
Yeah. And, uh, and I think when you can do that, it definitely helps you to understand. It's just like when I used an example earlier and you're like, that's a good example. I think the more you can understand and, and be able to have a little bit of insight when it comes to other cultures, it makes it that much easier to understand your own culture and maybe blind spots and just see it in different ways. It's just like looking at anything. When you can see it 360, you really get to see it. Whereas, you know, there are some people who will never be able to fully be able to see something 360. They'll only be able to see, and I say, never be able to really see life in a 360. They'll only be able to see it from a very limited perspective. And that limited perspective is is actually um, something that I think more and more is a disadvantage. Yeah, I, I don't think anyone can go through life with a limited um, viewpoint anymore. Like, you know, where I look at it for myself, I'm a heterosexual Black man, right? So I don't know what it's like to live life from um, someone who's LGBT. Yeah. I, I can try to understand, but I, I've never had that perspective. Yeah. Um, I don't know, and more so, I don't know what it's like to live life from as a woman, I'm never going to be able to understand life as a woman and, you know, someone who's mastering their feminine femininity and versus my masculinity energy. So it's like a lot going on, but, um, you know, I think trying to kind of open up and be more aware will will be useful for people yeah it's um it's one of those things that like you useful is almost like not it's like it's it's um it just it barely does it justice but right. we'll see you know it's it's like we've what we're seeing now and i saw someone else phrase it um similar and i uh, the thing is is that what we're experiencing now in the world is is the lack of awareness and consciousness and the lack of um, an ability to stand back and actually notice what's going on. And so to balance that out is the shift, is to go a lot deeper and to be able to pay attention to what's actually going on so that we can actually start to balance that out. Absolutely. <laughs> Dropped a lot of gems today, Carla. Do you have any um, final thoughts that you would like to share with us today? I think when it comes to final thoughts, I just would say, you know, you as a listener, especially if you've made it this far, I think you have an amazing advantage to really delve into, instead of always putting the focus outward, which is what we learn to do from a very young age, I think you have a great opportunity right now to join this shift in consciousness and awareness at the individual level and shift your awareness and ability to dissect things internally. And you're going to actually get a lot more there than you will from continuously looking outward. Because I think the most, the most complex and nuanced and most interesting uh, place to examine is within yourself because that is where you have the ability to do the most good. And that is where the, that's the place where you have the ability to really change things. So 
um, to look there. Because once you can look there and see what's really going on, be able to make change things externally, it's going to be easy. Another one, great closing thoughts. Um, did you have a question for me? So where do you, um, I guess, where do you, how do you feel like, um, you know, this podcast is, how do you feel like this podcast is, is, is maybe helping with the shift? I'm kind of curious about that. Well, I've really been thinking about it a lot. Um, we haven't, a lot of behind the scene things have kind of made me rethink the podcast and the direction that it was going in. Um, initially was all about entrepreneurship and empowerment and because I think entrepreneurship is the best pathway for empowerment Um, and you know season one uh, we started I started the podcast in May of 2019 and stopped recording new episodes in October um maybe even a little earlier and have been recording episodes not on my regular schedule. I was used, I used to record like three or three, three to five episodes a week and um, released twice a week. And now it's releasing more like month to month, um, kind of taking things as they come. And I really haven't been able to put out the content that about discussions. Um, I had um, one of my oldest uh, childhood friends, someone I've known since middle school, reached out and said, "Um, I don't agree with the riots. It seems like you do. Um, Would you want to have a conversation about it? And I said, absolutely. Um, And we can actually record the episode as a prep life episode. And that conversation ended up destroying our friendship. So we, uh, you know, I would say it was a falling out, but at the end of the day, it was cordial. Um, I think it ended up cordial. I think he... You know, things were said and it was just a lot going on. Um, And, you know, I wish him the best and I think he wishes me the best as well. But, yeah, that friendship is probably non-existent now. So, (laughs) But who knows what the future holds. But, uh, you know, I think a lot of things that were said, you know, kind of from his end were just very problematic. And we're just from a limited lens. Um, and felt very disingenuous and where I was just like very, um, I, I, it just wasn't a conversation. It became like a character assassination. It was very odd the way the conversation unraveled. And so that made me, um, reflect on some things I there is a guest on here um, that I had a popular episode actually of the podcast and who was out who routinely at this point post um, and 
anti-black rhetoric, racist wow. rhetoric. So, and, you know, this is somebody that I, I came to respect. I thought we had, you know, meh, a, a mutual respect for each other. I wouldn't necessarily say a, a friendship, but, you know, someone that you, a good associate, I would say, more than anything, um, a peer in entrepreneurship. And, you know, this, this rhetoric is, is pretty intense. And, you know, some comments were, it doesn't matter that uh, George Washington owned slaves. And it was, it got really um, to the point where I was like, okay, who am I having on the show that I'm, I can't control what happens on other platforms, but this is a platform that I created. So I need to kind of be more vigilant about uh, the guest and getting into people's backgrounds because some other things have happened um, behind the scenes, as we were talking about earlier, that have rubbed me the wrong way about, um, you know, some things here and there. And so going forward, I don't know how many more guest episodes I will do. Um, but I see this podcast becoming um, more prominent and kind of speaking more directly to the issues facing um, Black entrepreneurship in particular. Um, the book is definitely geared to more of those themes, but um, I think the podcast will start um, doubling down on those themes as well. Cool. Does that answer your question or not really? Um, it does. It does. It sounds like you kind of have already been forced to, you know, I guess, decide how you wanted to, I guess, make your mark <laughs> with this podcast on the racial justice movement. So that's interesting. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's a lot of what you were saying before, like doing the conscious work. Um, I think that's a huge component to all of this as well. Yeah. It's so huge. And the more I do it, the more I realize that it's so important. Yeah. Oh, Carla, I lied. I have one more question for you. <laughs> okay. So you were really great. Um, hope to have you back on future episodes. I think we're going to get more into panels and, um, you know, season two, maybe even maybe. Maybe, maybe not. Who knows? But um, would definitely love to have you back to discuss uh, conscious work and a lot of the topics that you touched on. Um, and we might even have to have you back to help us review some of the books that you recommended. We'll be doing that more. But I would also like to publicly put you on the spot and invite you um to be a guest, maybe not on Game Guru since we are wrapping that up, um, but the new um, Dating Dynamics podcast and also touches on conscious and spirituality and everything, um, the Himalayan. So you don't have to answer now, but, you know, <laughs> throwing that out there. Okay. No, Applying I, pressure. I, I mean, I, I don't know. It, it would have to be. I guess be revolved around the topic that I felt like I, 
I don't, you know what I mean? So yeah, that's okay though. Just let me know. Gotcha. No, I know it'd be good content. I, I, I have an eye for talent. <laughs> no, that's cool. That's funny. I don't know how we connected, um, but th that's cool. I'm glad that we did because um, I'm sure it's probably something through entrepreneurs since you have an entrepreneur podcast, but I, I, it's funny how much like entrepreneurship is really and personal development really go hand in hand. So yeah, I'm definitely, um, you know, I'm sure I probably could check out some more of the episodes on here and get some, uh, some more, you know, knowledge and inspiration. It's, it's definitely, I really, I almost am tempted to say that entrepreneurship and personal development are really kind of like one and the same, you know? Yeah. Hand in hand. Yeah. Well, we, I don't know if we set a record, but we came close to it for running time on a Trap Life episode. <laughs> I'm like, is anybody going to listen to all this? It's, so, it's going to be so long. <laughs> Maybe in bits and chunks they'll listen. Yeah, I'm going to break it up probably. But Okay, good. That's a good idea. Um, So we'll have a two-parter on our hands. But because you dropped a lot of content and I want everyone to be able to absorb it. A lot of good information. Um, and just thank you for coming on the podcast, Carla. You were a great guest. Thank you. Awesome. You're a great interviewer. Thanks for keeping it going. And um, we will pod. Um, and you guys are in for a great episode. And definitely go connect with Carla and write reviews for her. Connect on social media, everything. We have to support entrepreneurs and particularly um black entrepreneurs for the sake of empowerment that's the pathway forward and so live from trep life studios this is another episode of trep life and we are out peace and blessings bye take it away you know. mm, okay okay i was listening to some of the other episodes so uh, uh Okay. Which episodes were you listening to? I was listening to because I know um, Lisa Mustard, so I was listening to that one, and I was. Okay. <laughs> and then I saw there was another one with a girl that taught Zumba. I can't remember her name, but I listened to her like last week. Um, I can't remember. Her oh, name. Naza. Naza. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm.